you hear are not necessarily those of the staff and management of Radio One, its sponsors or advertisers. Ah, mon Afrique, réveille-toi. Il est midi. Tu dors encore. Réveille-toi. N'écoute pas Babylone. Il t'est fourni des armes pour tuer ton peuple. N'écoute pas Afrique. Afrique Nanga Oyamba, toi cheveux crepus. Bah toi Mayele Bosimba Nimba Bigé. Oya Bilanga Bosimba Nimba Congo. Simba Nimba Boko Mouna Le Katero Afrika. Malobate, Mosalande. Africa, Mobali Amingao, Africa, Hatona Mosolo, Africa. Tu gagnes ton nom par-ci par-là. Quand c'était les blancs, Negro a souffert, mais c'était mal de connaître. Negro a combattu pour arriver en black and black. And welcome to Congo Live, the authentic voice of the Congolese people in America. I'm your host, Patricia Lokwa, and uh, Kambali, you're in the studio today. Oh, yes, I'm excited to be on. How are you today? It's always awesome to have you, because then we get to see some of your dance moves. When I know, right, in. I know, right. How was our International Women's Day this week? was really you know, a huge celebration around the world on uh, International Women's Day. How did you spend uh, that day? Uh, sleeping. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I always uh, encourage people through my social media to always participate, but indeed, uh, indeed. you know, I'm going to school. So let's get back a little bit uh, into our show today. We're blessed to have with us a very special guest by the name of Nzanga Mobutu joining us live in the studio today yes, to talk yes. about his life, his family, and his political life. For our listeners who may not know, who he is. He's the son of the former president of the Democratic Republic of Congo, Denzaire Mobutu Sese Seko. Being in the public life since birth, Nzanga will take us on a journey to a glimpse of his life growing up with his father and further into him and his being a collector and a father and a family figure. And that's something I didn't know that, you know, he's an art collector and a he loves uh, movies. Uh, apparently, you know, he could have a career as a filmmaker if he wanted to. So I'm really excited to have the conversation with him later on during the show. I'm definitely excited about that, too. We definitely want to encourage our listeners to participate in this conversation uh, later on in the show. The number you'll be calling is 410-481-1010. But before we get to the show, Kambali, can you share with us on what's happening on the ground in the Democratic Republic of Congo? Absolutely. Our young brother, Jean-Marie Kalonji, who was uh, picked up by Aner on December 15th, is still being detained uh, by uh, Aner, the Congolese in- so-called Congolese Intelligence Agency. Uh, there is the youth coordinator of the organization, the Fourth Voice, Quatrième Voix, and uh, he's been very engaged with youth group youth groups specifically in Kinshasa, in uh, engaging young people in knowing their civic responsibilities and engaging them in the electoral process. Uh, two Lucha activists arrested on December 15th of uh, 2015, the same day as Jean-Marie, uh, were condemned to three months in prison and a fine of $100. Uh, seven of the co-conspirators were acquitted for lack of proof to support the charges brought against them. The nine activists were arrested while they were demonstrating against the violence in Beni territory in the North Kivu province. The Electoral Commission finalized the list of candidates for governors and vice governors of the 21 new provinces of the DRC. Opposition figures claim that the Electoral Commission has struck names from the list per the request of the Kabila regime, in essence guaranteeing that the presidential majority wins uh, those elections. Of the 135 candidates submitted, only 66 were approved, and only five other parties outside of the presidential majority have been valid, uh, validated as valid candidates. Uh, to the chagrin of Congo civil society, the Congolese government has abandoned its effort to reform its mining code. Uh, the government argued that the timing is not ideal for such a revision in light of the low prices of raw materials. The European Union issued a harsh resolution 
calling on the DRC government to cease its repression of Congolese human rights activists. Uh, they also demanded that the Congolese government uh, respect its constitution and organize timely election. As I mentioned earlier, on Tuesday, March 8th, uh, it was the International Women uh, the, uh, International Women's Day. Uh, hopefully, we can have a Women Month and Women Year as uh, women make who we are uh, in the world. But throughout the Congo and the diaspora, uh, many people have celebrated that day and they have renewed their call for support of Congolese women in their struggle to extricate themselves from nearly two decades of conflict and sexual violence in the Congo due to the world that we have seen in our country, the Congo. Uh, the appeal was punctuated by Dr. Denis Mukwege, who called for an end to impunity surrounding the perpetrators of sexual violence. Some 200 organizations signed a petition endorsing this appeal by Dr. Mukwege, which will be submitted to the United Nations. Last, the Kabila regime has closed yet another radio station in the former Katanga province. This one belonging to Gabriel Kyungu Wakumwanza, former member of Kabila's majority coalition and now member of the breakaway group form called uh, the Coalition of the G7. As I, I wish our listeners were in the studio to see how I was excited to hear this song and dancing all over uh, the studio right now. The, the song Rokonolo is a song by Congolese artist Mohombi, uh, featuring Congo another Congolese artist uh, locally in Kinshasa named Lumino. 
Mohombi is a Grammy-winning artist who has been doing a lot of work lifting up Congo's positive image around the world. Uh, some may know him for his musical collaboration with artists such as Pitbull and even Sean Paul. And I'm always excited to hear uh, his music as he continues to be Mwana Congo around the world. I definitely want to take it back to um, Zaire, Congo, given that we're going to be having Zanga Mobutu, who's going to be joining us in a little bit. Growing up in Zaire was much different than the country we see today. One aspect many Congolese can identify with and point to is when it comes to the regime of Mobutu Sese Seko, the father of our guest, is the unity and the pride of the people of our country they all had. While Zanga is not his father, we will hear from his him now and growing up in his house of um, with his father and what he's been up to these days. Yes, and uh, you know, of course, I was born in Zaire. It's always uh, interesting for me uh, to say I'm Congolese because I was born in 1981. But during that time, uh, the country that I've known was not what we see today. And I'm very interested in hearing from Zanga his perspective on the state of affairs today in the Congo, but our listener may not know who Nzanga Mobutu is, so let me let them know uh, who our esteemed guest is. Born on March 24, 1970 in Kinshasa, the Democratic Republic of Congo, Nzanga was educated in Belgium during his elementary and high school years. He graduated from College Saint-Vincent-de-Soigny uh, with concentration in economy. He received a degree in arts and science with concentration in communications from Université de Montréal. And he also has a degree in international relations from American universities in, in Paris. His political career started in 1996 as the communications advisor of the executive office of the president in the last days of Mobutu reg- uh, the Mobutu regime. He founded the political party Udemo in 2006. That same year, he ran as a candidate in the presidential election and placed fourth with about 4.8% of the vote. He served in the government of the Democratic Republic of Congo under President Joseph Kabila from 2007 to 2011 as the Deputy Prime Minister, uh, Minister of Agriculture and Minister of Labor and Social Welfare. In November 2010, uh, a month that I was uh, quite interested for many Congolese who remember actually what happened, and Zanga Mobutu walked away from his ministerial position given the long crisis between himself and President Kabila around transparency in government as uh, government's affair. Nzanga Mobutu is married to his childhood friend and sister of Jean-Pierre Bemba, Catherine Bemba. Uh, they are parents to three beautiful children. A passion of art, movies, and politics, uh, which I'm really keen to hear from him directly. Nzanga loves to play soccer and tennis, and lately he has become a fan of American basketball. So tell me, Mr. Nzanga, since you well, are joining us today. Welcome to the Congo Live Show. Yes. It's an honor to have you. Thank you, Patricia. <laughs> well, what did you want to say? What did you want to find out? Who's winning the NBA finals this year? <laughs> That's uh, You're going too, too far there. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I have a son who plays basketball. Uh, hello, Kambali, to start with. Um, yeah, hello, hello. Thank a, you. It's a pleasure. So it's an honor to, uh, to be here for, for the first time. And... Um, well, I have a son who plays basketball. Um, okay. I know these uh, these these days uh, he's talking about uh, um, the the San Francisco uh, basketball uh, team. Yes, um, yes, with the assassin. Yeah, and um, <laughs> Curry. But I've always been a, a Lakers fan. So okay, yeah. Okay. Uh, the Lakers are out. Kobe's retired now. I know, but um, you know, well, you have to stick to your to your team, uh, whatever the the situation. Yeah, exactly. So you know, uh, having this show, we've gotten a lot of calls and a lot of emails. And Zanga is coming to the show, and uh, one of the things that people want to know is Mobutu Sesiseko Kukungwendu Wazambanga. Now, just to quote, uh, why I'm starting it with that name uh, on the New York Times article uh, in uh, that was actually September 8, 1997. Uh, they published an article called Mobutu, Zarian Dictator for 32 Years Dies in Exile. And in it, it says, Mobutu Africanized his name to Mobutu Seseseko Kukungwendu Wazabanga, meaning the all-powerful warrior who, because of his endurance and inflexible will to win, will go from conquest to conquest, leaving fire in his wake. Is this the correct translation of this name? <laughs> I have to say, this is... a. Uh you know, usually, uh, sorry to use the term, but this is uh, usually European BS, mm. <laughs> you know, because, um, you know, nobody's serious 
you know, nobody who's serious can translate the, the name like that. That's First of all, this is not a translation. Uh, you have to remember that at the time, you know, when my father tried to, uh, when he started uh, the authenticity, uh, mm -hmm. yes. this, um, this policy, you know, that uh, asked every uh, Congolese at the time, you know, to go and, and find a, a name that, uh, um, that explains his history, mm. you know, his family history. Uh, the names that my father took at uh, the time were the names uh, he owed when pe people in his village always referred to him uh, as those names. Okay. And those names refer to uh, uncles, grandparents, ancestors. Uh, those are not just names or nicknames. Okay. And uh, that's what he asked anybody, you know, to, to find in its own roots, you know, a name that uh, uh, resonates is uh is uh his family and not just uh you, you know the names that we we bear when they call you joseph or uh, francois or or marie you know mm -hmm. the, th those names refer to jewish names mm -hmm. um and uh where in fact uh, we have our own history uh, we have our own roots mm -hmm. and family histories so uh that was the whole idea okay. and then you know european or belgian journalists at the time you know they they found it very funny you know mm -hmm. because uh you know, <clears throat> it's always funny because w when you see uh, Scots, you know, you know Scots men mm -hmm. wearing uh, wearing um, um, the skirts, the skirts yes. you know, we have to find it normal, you know. Exactly. And uh, but when you see when you see a, a traditional uh, a traditional uh, head of state, you know, with a with a leopard skin hat, or mm -hmm. you see a traditional. Uh, 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 you know, to villagers, chiefs, mm -hmm. you know, in traditional uh, uh, outfit, you know, um, Europeans tend to find it funny. And, you know, and this is a uh, this is where we don't have to we don't have to give in to those kind of uh, attitudes. So this is this is where, the you know, the, the whole thing started. Absolutely. Uh, one of the, the reasons that I, I, I enjoy doing this show, because it's our own voice, it's done by the Congolese for the Congolese, and mm -hmm. to have a Congolese on the show, it's always an honor. And when we're speaking of authenticity, uh, let's go back a little bit to your growing up in the Congo, because I know that, you know, it is who you are, you're connected to the Congo. Share with us some of your fond memories of growing up in the Congo. Well, I have to say that uh, I, I grew up in the Congo until I was uh, five, six, mm -hmm. let's say five. And um, and my parents uh, decided to to send me and my my siblings to uh, to to Belgium, and we okay. grew up there with uh, with uh, a Belgian family, okay. and um, and they always made sure that uh, you know we had uh, you know the, the family values, the Christian values, uh, the Catholic values that uh, uh, we um, we grew up uh, with uh, within our family, uh, that we kept those uh, growing up. Uh, it wasn't easy because uh, I think any kid deserved to uh, to be with his parents, but they they had their they had their reasons and uh, and I think uh, I once told uh, talked with my my mom at the time I think uh, uh, people were um, taking kids you know taking kids away and uh, in Kinshasa in the in the mid seventies okay and I remember uh, you know she she said that at the time it was uh, really uh, um, for for many families it was. Uh, it was uh, a problem and uh, and also for for evident reasons you know my father was a president he was traveling he was not al always there and for uh, for xyz reasons i think many uh, congolese families send their kids uh, you know to uh, to belgium or to other countries maybe they think uh, it was uh, it was a good way mm -hmm. um but but i have uh, but i still have uh, I still have uh, nice memories uh, of uh, growing up with my my family, my cousins, my friends. It's cool. Um, I was a little young, yes, but uh, but then later on, you know, would come back to the country during uh, during the summer. Okay, so you came and, back uh, from vacation sometimes. <laughs> oh yes, definitely. Yeah. Okay, so how where did you usually go when you came back from vacation? Uh, when I was younger, um, like. Until I was like ten, it may, may, it was uh, mostly in Kinshasa. Uh, okay. So I would visit my my cousins uh, uh, in Limete or uh, in Binza or in Gombe. Okay. You know, see friends. Uh, go so that to was like around my. We were talking about. Yeah. I grew up in <laughs> Binza, so I knew a lot of um, his family friends, and it was you know it's always uh, one of the things I, I wanted to 
emphasize on, because a lot of times people have this idea of, you know, what Mobutu was. And we talked briefly about this, of, you know, how he was perceived throughout the world. You as his son, you know, what are some things that you've learned from him as a father that you carry with you till today and you pass on to your sons and to your daughters that, you know, despite everything that you may see around the world, it's something that you will never let go, it being your father. Mm-hmm. What is something that he gave to you as, um, I guess, what, what would I say? Like a advice yeah. or, you know, what, what is something that you take with you? Well, one thing is, um, you know, something that most people maybe don't know, except those that had the, the, the you know, that had access to him directly. You know, he was a humble man, you know, um, when we were when we were very young. He he used to tell us that uh, you know his father was a uh, he was a cook you know uh, for a, uh, a Belgian magistrate uh, in uh, Lisala, mm-hmm. and he always told us that never you know you have to tr- to treat people people that work at the house with respect. Uh, you know he said my my father was a cook, mm-hmm. and uh, and I think it's important you respect all the people that work here, and uh, and that's that's a relation that we always had with people that work at the house uh, in the kitchen or in the house mm. and we always considered them as uh, as family and uh but he was a very humble man uh for anybody who met him in private uh they could see because you had the public image mm. see the you know the the the, the president the 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 the, 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 the general uh, the, the officer and then you had the the, the man in private you know and uh mm. Uh, I remember those years um, when we would go to the village, you know, he would just sit there, uh, you know, with people, with village people, uh, you know, drink a beer, you know, I mean, have how, fun. Explain that scene because you just pointed out that the president of the country was in the village with the villagers. Like yeah. how, how is that scene? Uh, are there bodyguards around or is he approachable? Are people connecting with him or And what's that time period that you're referring to? About? Oh, when, when uh, you know, in my teen years, uh, okay. even before that, yeah. Um, because when you're when he's in the village, uh, you know, people, well, more people have access to him. First okay. of all, because uh, then you have family, then you have people he can relate to. Um, it, it's different. It's not the, 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 the contact is completely different with the people, you know, because uh, all of a sudden you don't speak about politics anymore. You know, you you're talking exposure. about... Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you know, we would come. In, we would stop in one village. Then people would come and sell bananas and sell uh, fish or, or meat. You know, from from uh, from hunting. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's completely different. You know, and then he would ask. Uh, you know, how's life treating you here? Uh, what's going on? And mm-hmm. then they would speak. And uh, of course, they would treat him with respect. You know, uh, being the head of state. But you know, they would they would also treat him like a you know like a like a buddy. You know, because knowing that he, he he grew up in the same areas, mm-hmm. so it's it, it was completely different. Mm-hmm. And uh, but it's also funny because uh, you know when uh, those uh, th- th- those uh, those past years, you know, after he passed away, uh, I had the the opportunity to to meet with the uh, you know heads of state and um, you know heads of governments, you know, uh, in Africa and also in Europe. And it's also funny because every time they always have a joke about my father or a special story, mm-hmm. you know, in, in every, in, in all these little stories, you can always see uh, that they, uh, they were, uh, they really, uh, they always related to the fact that he was a humble man, always, in all the stories. Mm-hmm. Can you give and, an example uh, of Yeah, for, like for instance, I remember there was, I think it was a, a former uh, president of, of Portugal, you know, and one of the first things that he told me is uh, that, uh, you know, whenever he would meet with my father, you know, when they were like in, uh, in-house, mm-hmm. you know, the, he would just say, oh, whatever, whatever you want to drink or eat or something, he would just go home and, and serve. I mean, I, I was not surprised because that's how he beha- behaves when, uh, when we're home. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- those kind of things. Um, yeah. It was very simple because he always told me, basically, he said, well, you know, when, uh, when I grew up, You know, I had nothing, you know, and anybody who helped me with a glass of water or anything, I would always uh, feel like I owed them all my life. Um, and that was the case, you know, for some of the people that surrounded him uh, much later when he became a politician. Um, he would always say, you know, uh, kids, you, you need to know, you know, these all these people you see, some of the people that you see here, 
those are the people that helped me out when I was uh, uh, younger yeah. and that I had nothing. So it's, uh, it's important because this is a lesson also for, for the kids. And also one of the things is that uh, we have a mother who uh, gave us a, a down-to-earth education. Oh, yeah, um, we rarely hear about uh, your mother, Mama Bobiladawa. Yeah, and uh, it's it's very important because uh, you know, uh, contrary to the you know to, to this uh, image that uh, you know we all grew up in Switzerland in you know private schools and stuff. No, no, uh, like in my case, I, I grew up in in Belgium, and she always always, always insisted that you know we had a, a down to earth uh, education. Okay. Th this was very important, and you know when I was like a teenager, she always told me that. Uh, You know, your father would not be around, you know, uh, eternally, mm. you know, and some somehow you're going to have to, uh, you know, to handle things on your own and and have your own life. So uh, so I think that was really important. This is something, you know, uh, this is something that I, I like talking with her uh, yeah. and I thank her. So uh, before we also get into more of who in Zanga, I think it would be good to share with us, you know, the uh, things that you think. A misconception mm -hmm. about your father specifically around international media yeah. right the way he's being portrayed what are the things that you saw uh, outside of being humble and being accessible mm -hmm. uh, what are the things that you saw that the international media portray as not true and what can you share with our audience about the man that you saw in the house well usually you know when uh, when you read books or when you see the way he's portrayed Well, I mean, one thing that uh, one thing that's uh, very clear, you know, he was a strong man. You know, uh, you have to remember that, uh, you know, he was uh, he was very very young when he was sent to to the army, the Force Publique, you yeah, know, okay. the, the the Belgian colonial uh, army. Mm -hmm. um, and when they sent you there, you had you had to serve for seven years, and that's what he did. You know, he served for seven years there. And then we, when he came back to a uh, civil life, you know, he, he started he started a um a journalist career okay. you know in uh, in work for, uh, for 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 journals in Kinshasa and um, Leopoldville at the time and uh so all these generations they were very young when they when they had access to power and um so he's uh the the you know having uh, i mean he grew up uh, with the, without a father you know his father died when he was uh, barely eight years old mm. and um And then the army became, uh, you know, uh, or like the, the officers there, they became like the father figure for him. I see. You see? So, um, and uh, so the, the, the only uh, image uh, of respect and order that he had was the, the army. He gave it uh, to, to him. Mm -hmm. So you have to, to, have to understand that. And, uh, and also we were in the 60s, you know. I, uh, I was born in 1970. I grew yeah. up differently and in different environment. But I, I can also relate and understand how it was to grow up uh, in those years. He was born in 1930, you know, during the colonial period. Yeah. So things are things are different. But on the whole, I think uh, which is uh, what is frustrating is uh, the uh, when people talk about him, they don't know him. You know, when you when you I I can, I can relate. Uh, Uh, about uh, Belgian journalists when they talk about uh, uh, my father or the country, um, usually they have they have uh, a tendency to be uh, you know diminishing. You know, uh, we talk you know this is Africa. You know, my grandfather was uh, uh, had a, uh, you know he had a farm in uh, in, uh, in Congo and you know they always have this. Um, this old uh, yeah way. this no, condescending yeah. attitude towards uh, yeah. And they treat and they and they treat their uh, their subjects the, the same way, you know. Uh, it's always easy to talk about. Uh, oh yeah, Mobutu. He was drinking champagne in his jungle palace in the, in the Congo. What does it tell you about uh, the whole thing? You know, he stayed 32 years in power, and uh, and the only thing that, uh, <laughs> that you took uh, from that, it was that you know that he was drinking champagne in his jungle palace. This is how uh, they treat uh, information. You know, um, but again, uh, I think uh, you have to you have to look at the the, the other stuff, the the other way. Um, he always fought for the unity of this country. You know, I mean, nearly 20 years after uh, his passing, whenever the Congolese relate to him today, you know, they re especially when you're in the Kivu. I I have friends there. I you know I talk with people there. 
they referred to to this period as being a a, a period where they had uh, they were secured, you know, uh, because when you have security, then you can you can uh, you can do business, yeah. um, uh, which is not the case today. Because today you you have uh, you have internal uh, refugees uh, in the country by the hundreds of thousands, and all the all this situation is very new. You mentioned uh, Dr. Mukwege. He said that uh, you know. 20 years ago, we didn't have those things. Yeah. It started, you know, after, you know, when uh, when this all, this this flow of uh, randoms came in the country, and so this is really frustrating because um, um, I mean, at least it's it's been frustrating for me for the for those uh, for those past 20 years. But now things are changing. the The attitude is changing. Um, so there's nothing to expect, you know, from uh, from uh, Western journalists. You know, they will always treat Africa the way they treat it because this this condescending attitude. And so I'm not expecting anything from it. But at least as uh, as a Congolese, we need to really understand uh, that uh, what we want for tomorrow, mm -hmm. what we want for today, what are we doing today? You know, in order to uh, to to build a to build a. Um, you know, a, a stronger Congo. That's well, let's, I, I want to stick on that note because we want to find out what are you doing today? You know, mm -hmm. we've talked about your dad and we've talked about his influence. Now let's talk a little bit more about you, but let's take a short break and then uh, we'll talk a little bit about your political career okay. and what you've been up to. Actually, yeah, well, like as you mentioned, we wanted to play that uh, in the beginning, but we had a few technical difficulties. I, I like how you were just mentioning, uh, we were talking about how, how humble uh, your father is and something that um, your cousin who just happened to mention was the fact that he used to make sure that the guards, uh, did they eat before he even worried about himself eating. So these are great examples. But uh, let's get a little bit more into your political uh, career. What led you to after you know growing up you've mentioned this experience growing up with your father in the political field now we have you now mm -hmm. who you're in the political field and you end up going to kinshasa a lot of people may wonder you know how do you end up working for a regime that at some point was against we could say your father and now you're in there did you find it difficult or did you even or was it such a different area that you were in that it didn't even matter you just wanted to be there because it was a passion for you how did you end up in the Congo and working with Kabila? Well, first of all, we have to start with the 1990. You know, when mm, yes, uh, yes, when when uh, when my father um, decided to uh, to to end the the, the single party system oh, okay. and to embrace uh, again, um, you know, like a multi party uh, system and uh, and democracy yes, as and it is viewed uh, internationally. Absolutely. Um, I remember I was in Brussels. And um, we were with a group of uh, young Congolese, you know, and we all saluted it. We were very happy, you mm -hmm. know, because, you know, growing up, I have to say it, we didn't mention it earlier, but uh, in, 
growing up in Belgium, you know, being the son of Mobutu, you know, it was hard, you know, because everybody would come. Uh, I remember I, had, I fought, you know, <laughs> I was fighting people in, in, uh, in, uh, in my school. You know, some people would just come and say, you know, your father killed Lumumba, your father is a murderer and those mm -hmm. kind of things. You know, and when you're like, when you're 15, 16 and 17, if you were not uh, strong enough to resist this, mm -hmm. you know, um, I mean, it, it can be real, it can be a real problem for you, yeah. you know, and um, and and then came um, you know April twenty fourth, nineteen ninety, you know, and we saluted, we embraced it. For for us, it was uh, the beginning of a new uh, era, a new period. Mm -hmm. And then uh, and then this uh, this transition, you know, lasted for like forever, you know, until uh, until the the end of the regime in nineteen ninety seven, and um, so. But you should point out that you were the spokesperson yeah, of yeah. the regime at, in 1997. Yes, yes, yes. I was, uh, I was the spokesman, and uh, this was uh, also a, um, um, this was uh, a, a period where uh, I, gained, uh, I gained a lot of experience mm -hmm. because you had to meet with all these people. Um, um, I had um, daily meetings with my father. You know, not as father and son, but now as a collaborator. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, you know, um, early uh, meetings uh, and, um, and of course, the, you know, around eight o'clock, we had uh, also meetings and that I could relate the, the, all the, the discussions that I had with you the journalists. You said 8 a.m.? Yeah, in the morning, it was earlier than that. So, <laughs> around 7 so you had it, at, at 8 p.m., uh, yeah. Okay. Around 8 p.m. Uh, okay. So I could relate, uh, you know, about all the, the meetings that I had with the journalists uh, okay. in, uh, in Kinshasa and, and other people as well. Uh, but it was uh, it was very difficult moment as you can imagine um, because uh, uh, knowing that your father has a cancer, you know, and uh, and then you have to face, you know, you had all those questions about his health, about his health and everything. So, you know, you have to play, uh, you have to play uh, rough, you know, uh, mm -hmm. and um, so uh, so eventually we, you know, we we went to uh, to exile. We went to uh, to Morocco. Um, well, the the late uh, King Hassan II was a longtime friend of my father. Uh, you know, there were two heads of state, but they had, uh, you know, they had a, a special uh, bond, mm -hmm. and um, and then my father eventually passed away. Um, and then I had to 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 deal with that. You know, what kind of life that I wanted to 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 have? Uh, politics, I think, um, uh, was a problem for me when I was a teenager. Uh, because uh, politics was, uh, you know, what uh, st stood between my father and myself, mm. you know, because even when we came uh, during the summer, um, I would always see him uh, like at the d uh, table, uh, you know, at eight, eight o'clock, you know, uh, we ate and then probably he would, uh, he would resume uh, meetings with politicians and, you know, yeah until very late in the night so this was uh politics was really a problem for me but then you know there is a there is this say in french you know uh um and they say uh um, you can say in french chasser naturel something like that and uh so um so this is uh, this is uh, this is the life that I that I embraced, you know. I embraced politics. So I started uh, in 1998. I started uh, reaching out, you know, to uh, to people in Africa, in Europe, uh, here in the United States. It was very difficult. A lot of closed doors. Mm. Uh, but at some point, you know, um, when you're convinced of your ideas, of your commitment, and my commitment was to my to my uh, to my country, yeah. because my father always told me that uh, this country had to remain united. And wherever you went, you were in Zaire. You know, uh, when we visited uh, the, the Kivus, we regularly went there. We would go uh, in vacation, you know, we would go to, uh, to the Virunga Park, uh, in, the, in, the, in the Rindi uh, compound. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, we would go to, to the Kasai, we would go to uh, Katanga. Back then it was Shaba. Yeah, um, and uh, you know this is uh, we were taught you know to be uh, you know uh, true Zairians and to believe in our countries so uh, this of course formed a, a true commitment um, and uh, you know many people told me no, no no don't embrace politics you know this is uh, 
you know, your father always complained about politics, you know, that he didn't have the time to spend with his family. And he always told us that, mm. you know, that uh, if you had to choose a friend, of, uh, a Canadian friend of mine uh, that we invited one, uh, one summer, I remember um, he bluntly asked my father, <laughs> he said, Mr. President, uh, may, may I ask you a question? He said, well, uh, go ahead, young man. And he said, well, if you, if you want, you know, if you d didn't embrace the uh, politics, uh, what kind of life, uh, you know, would you have? And my father said, well, I think I would be a farmer. And uh, so mm -hmm. I could, you know, spend, you know, work on the farm and then spend more time with my family. So this was a regret. Uh, and I have to say, even in, this, in his last days, this is something that uh, he mentioned uh, quite, uh, quite a lot. Yeah. So you got this experience, but the most important thing is, how did you end up? In 2000, after the yeah, exactly, yeah, wave. and um, so uh, so uh, from 1998 until uh, until uh, 2005, let's say, because this is it's in only in 2005 that I decided to run. Um, basically, I said um, I have to go back to my country, and all the people that uh, that I met, especially here in the United States, they said, "Well, you know, now we we know you." We know how we know how you committed to your country, but uh, you know, as long as you come here, you know, you always have somebody to talk with you. Yeah. But uh, but you have to go back to your country, you know. And it's uh, the Congolese who will decide if you know they want to listen to you and to you know to go along with what you have to to offer. Mm -hmm. And and that's what I did. That's what I did. You know, when I heard this, you know, and I said, well, yeah, they're right. You know, why why should I stay away of my country? You know, and um, so I went back, and uh, so and I reached out to people there, and uh, you know, and I said, well, we need uh, we need to do something for our country. You know, there's no way, uh, you know, when uh, when when the country decided to you know to embrace uh, democracy, to embrace multi-party uh, elections, well, uh, when you think of uh, what it cost the country, you know, the millions of lives that we lost in the in the in the, in the course of uh, uh, these uh, these uh, military actions in the country, you know, we need to to stick together. Yeah. And so uh, I started discussing, you know, the the, the creation of the party and uh, and uh, well, I said what I believe sincerely is that uh, whenever you talk about unity of the country, I think this is the best message that you can have uh, for the country. And that's uh, and my father worked he worked hard for that. It's not just a, a slogan, but it's, he really worked for it. Um, you know, back in the time, you know, when uh, when they appointed the governors, you know, uh, governors uh, when they were appointed, they were not, uh, you know, uh, like uh, in Kasai, you would have uh, um, a governor from Equateur. Uh, uh, in in the Kivu, you would have uh, a, a governor from uh, Bakongo. So uh, when the guy started working. You know, he didn't relate to the people as, oh, my people, you know. So he would, he knows people would say, would know that, uh, you know, he was not from, from their, uh, he was not, you know, um, one of, one of uh, theirs, you know, sort of saying. So he would work effectively. So, uh, and I think this, polit this politics uh, really served the, the, the country. And that's one of the reasons why uh, you have one, a former governor of, uh, a former governor of Kivu, Who's now uh, a member of uh, of the House of uh, of Representatives, uh, the uh, Deputy right. uh, uh, go Governor Conde Virakikanda. So this is uh, this is proof that uh, um, you know having a, you know a, a, poli a policy that uh, that really serves uh, the unity of the country. I think uh, um, you know we can uh, we can work on it. If but then. No, Sorry about that no, because no, no. I, I don't want to. I don't want to dodge the, the the question. Um, when um, when I decided to run uh, for uh, for for office in uh, in two thousand and six, um, you know that at the time we had two rounds of elections. Mm -hmm. So we were, I think, there were th thirty three candidates, and then I I ran and I arrived fourth, and um, so. Um, uh, uh, the president people, the uh, president Kabila, uh, reached out to me and I said, well, uh, this is, uh, we'll, we'll see. Because I remember I gave an interview to RFI, you know, the French uh, radio, and uh, they said, well, uh, who would you support? 
and uh, but I didn't have uh, good relations uh, uh, with my with my my brother-in-law. So I said, uh, so I said, well, I will relate to uh, you know people that uh, serve uh, the policy policies that I that I uh, that I fight for, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, the ones, uh, and I will uh, you know support anybody you know who support you know unity of the country and democracy and, and those kind of things, but they didn't they didn't reach out to me, and uh, and people from uh, Kabila's camp, you know, they they contacted me. As I said, well. Uh, do you think uh, uh, you know we can do something about you know we can uh, we can work with? I said, well, uh, I'll discuss it with my with my own people because at the time uh, uh, we had uh, already nine people nine people that were elected, you know, uh, um, um, a deputy. Mm-hmm. So we said, well, okay. Um, in Equator, I did uh, um, one third of the the I gained one third of the voice there. I mean, the uh, one third of the the votes. So I said, "Why? Why not? You know, why not?" And um, so, but this is, uh, yeah. But so, so this is the past now. So um, I have a. I, I, I'm just trying to to grasp um, from you sharing um, when your father came in and his sense of unity and working from everybody with mm-hmm. everybody. If if I can say that I understand you correctly, your idea was not that. You're working with Kabila as an enemy. For you, you're a Congolese. You're thinking the best interest of your country and your presence being in the Congo matters. Oof. And it doesn't matter who may be the president at the time. For you, it's a matter of me working for the country. Oh, definitely. Okay. Def- definitely. It's, uh, uh, for, for me, it was uh, evident. It was clear that uh, I would fight for those reasons. And, and, uh, and maybe uh, um, when, when I get criticisms about it, People have to remember, you know, when we we signed a, we signed a, a government contract, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, You're and we're serving the people. Not oh yeah, we're serving the, the people, yeah. like uh, you know, transparency. Uh, you know, uh, we want democracy. I mean, all the values that we defended uh, in the, you know, when I ran for president, I said we we want. You know, it has to be written in the in that contract. I think it's important for you to mention that because there are people that will say, you know, why would you work with that regime and so forth and so on. But when we look at even the U.S., for example, government, we have Republicans and then we have the Democrats. But in a way, they're not working for their own self-interest, although we may see that in the Congo. Mm-hmm. But there are people who do work for the government who really want a better Congo, who have a better vision yeah. for Congo. So for me, my question um, in asking you is when you see Congo and your vision of Congo um, with the experience of you growing up with your mm-hmm. father and then you being a Congolese and you being proud of who you are, how do you see Congo in the future as a leader, as somebody who who's gotten involved in politics? What is your perspective of, you know, what Congo needs to be here, knowing the potential? Knowing the potential and uh, having lived abroad, mm-hmm. you know, because I think, you know, I think to what what Congo has today, you know, having Congolese living, you know, in the states, in in Asia, in Europe, in Africa, mm-hmm. you know, they, uh, it's a great potential for the country. Mm-hmm. We, we don't have to, we have to, you know, Congo Congo doesn't have to be related only about uh, his mi- uh, its mining resources. Congo has to be related, uh, you know, because we have a great potential because we have great people. You know, and uh, and that, that's how I think we have to, to to start with, you know, because you know, first of all, uh, with uh, with our um, with our uh, uh, hydro hydropower potential, we can uh, we can you know uh, light up the the whole continent. We can feed the whole continent. I know some of our, our listeners are probably wondering what the number is. It's 410-481-1010. Go ahead. Keep talking about the hydro um, potential capacity. Yeah, the hydropower uh, potential that we have. You know, uh, it can uh, blight the, the whole continent. You know, this is, uh, this is, uh, those are facts. And, uh, and uh, also we can feed the whole continent if we want to. Absolutely. Because I was Minister of Agriculture and some of some people, you know, I get criticism and people say, oh, but you didn't do anything when he was Minister of Agriculture. Yeah, but the thing is, you know. Is it difficult to even do anything in the environment that you're working in? Yeah, but the thing is, you know, in order to do that, you know, like for, 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 for the United States, I think it's $500 billion, the budget for mm. agriculture. You know, in Congo, at least <laughs> if we had at least $1 billion. But it's but the problem. First what were of all, the challenges you face as the minister of agriculture, and what hindered your uh, progress of you know, making a difference within that uh, office? 
So what what would this? So for example, where you were working, what are some things that prevented you? Like you came in there with a goal, you want to mm-hmm. accomplish something. So what prevented you from accomplishing some of these goals? Well, I think it's uh, I think the bottom line is you know uh, they don't want you to succeed, you know, because basically you know if he succeeds as a minister of agriculture. You know, he might end up uh, being the the next uh, candidate. You know, and, uh, and, and I don't want that. Everybody else stand yes. out that they're not doing that. So they would not, uh, you know, just let you just work, let yeah. you just work, or just uh, you know, because Congolese need to know that uh, you know every uh, budget, you know, was cleared by the by the by the parliament, but when in fact ministers, you know, end up uh, you know working uh, without any budget. Because the, the presidency or the, the, the or the, the prime minister, you know, they, you know, they take most of the budgets, you know, maybe half of the budget, you know, that's uh, that's one of the problems that we are facing in the in the country, yeah. you see, and uh, and also because I think you need to be strict, you know, because when you're working, uh, you know, as a prime minister or a president, you know, you need to know that uh, we have a lot of lot of problems that you had you, uh, you need to face, you know, because. Uh, um, Every every money that you get, you know, through the customs, uh, through uh, you know the through the taxes, all those monies need to be controlled. They need to be monitored, you know, and and that's not the case. You know, things are just uh, people are just uh, working as, you know, like uh, like like they don't have to care about seventy million people, yeah. and uh, this is the the problem. And that's one of the reasons why I had to to quit. You know, because I, I first wanted to quit in two thousand and nine. If you remember at the time, yeah, it, at the time, if you remember, um, uh, Mr. Kamere was the, the he was the, the speaker of the house, mm-hmm. and he had problems with the president because he opposed the president on, you know, on the issue of uh, you know having a mixed, uh, you know, Rwandan and and Congolese uh, and this, uh, the troops, yeah, the war, yeah, yeah, for yeah to to uh, to work to, alongside, you know, to to fight against the uh, the FDLRs, yeah. And um, so, and I remember at the time because he ex- we talked, and uh, and I remember I was the only one supporting him, you know. And they said oh, we need we need to get rid of him, and I was the only one who said, well, you know, you can't get rid of the, the speaker of the house the way you know p- your people are doing it. Yeah. So, um, so that was uh, that was a problem because at the time they I was considered as a, you know a danger, you know, and uh, and at some point we lost. Uh, uh, the member we had uh, in the in the off in the in the office of the uh, of the of the parliament. Mm-hmm. So I told the I told the people I said, well, we we need to, uh, to we need to get out, you know, because uh, you know when they start doing those kind of things, um, you, you know, one day they just call me and they'll say, okay, just uh, get out. Yeah. So uh, so they said, well, no, uh, I think you try to reach out to the president and try to discuss and you know, and I respected the you know their voice. But uh, but in 2010, you know, when I said, well, uh, I think there's nothing to discuss because those people will never respect us. They will never respect the country uh, because the way they manage the country is wrong, you know. And uh, and I think uh, you know when you see the decisions that the IMF took, you know, whenever when they froze the uh, when they froze the funds that were allocated for the Congo because there was no transparency, you know, in mining uh, in mining uh, contracts, you know, those kind of things. Uh, I think it only gave me a reason, you know. So just to in- interject, because we have about a minute left, and mm-hmm. you know oh. that means that we have to bring you back. Right? <laughs> well, not only do we have to bring him back, I, I want to finish the show because you know, if you agree for us, you know, to have you, we're always welcome. This is your home. But um, as you're talking about the Congo, what is a message? that you may want to give the new generation of Congolese? You have your children who may be listening. You have your family. Like, what is the, what is it that we need to take from you that we should keep pushing in a better Congo? What is the message for us? You know, what, one thing is, you know, my kids love the United States. They love it. You know, they love about the sports. They love about, you know, the, the way of life here. Mm-hmm. Uh, they like the fact that they, they can say whatever they want, you know, and we as parents, we respect that. And, um, you know, it's it's completely different. You know, when they they used to come and visit me in Kinshasa when I was in government, they could see the difference. And they said, "Well, Dad, you know, I think we won't live ever live in the in the Congo." Mm-hmm. And uh, and I w- I want to fight, you know, for those kids and for their generation because I want them to, you know, to understand that Congo is their home. Mm-hmm. They can travel, they can go wherever they want, but 
Congo is their home. So to fight, you know, so that uh, in Congo, anybody can go and live. We have a, a gorgeous country. Yeah. You know, they can travel within the, the, the country. They can, uh, they can become entrepreneurs, you know, and, and start their business in Congo. Yeah. There's so much potential. You know, so uh, I would like to, to give these, uh, these opportunities uh, for younger generations. And, and they have to understand that it's, uh, it's doable, you know, because yeah. tomorrow, tomorrow, um, the country doesn't have to, uh, uh, the country doesn't have to think about the, 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 the president's uh, mood or uh, the president's uh, hairstyle or, or something like that. You yeah. know, people, you know, people can live their own life, do their business or do politics without, you know, uh, having to think about uh, the, the president's attitude on that X, Y, Z uh, morning, you know? So, exactly. so this is, uh, those are the reasons why we need to fight because we have to give a reason to, to our young people, you know, to, to fight for life, you know. Uh, you, ha you have people that uh, did, uh, they, they studied law, they studied medicine, they studied, and whenever they finish, the, only, the first thing they want to do is to fly and to go work uh, s somewhere else. Mm. And this is not, uh, this is not something that's uh, acceptable. So we have to return home, and that brings us to the closing. Really, thank you. Uh, thank you for well, making the time. Before we close, though. hold on. We have a few more minutes because I had uh, I have connections. So I talked to the engineer. She gave us a few extra minutes because I <laughs> thought it was important. <laughs> but um, I wanted to know because we always talk about what what are some of your favorite musicians from Congo? Because you asked me that recently, and I didn't have an opportunity to ask you back. <laughs> so. Well, I, I I listen to all kinds of music, but of course uh, in Congo I was a big fan of Zaiko when I was uh, younger. Okay. Uh, Zaiko and and then. Uh, and later on, uh, Wenge Musica. Okay. Uh, uh, Which Kof one? You have to be precise. Well, you for me, it's Wenge. Or? For me, it's Wenge Musica. <laughs> for me, it's. Uh, uh, I mean, it was. I was, uh, I was very sad. Wenge. I was really sad when they split, but uh, but I think it's um, on the whole. I think this, mm. the Wenge spirit, because okay. really when they started, it was really uh, something. Uh, it was really great. Uh, of course, uh, Olomide, uh, but I. I, I preferred uh, his music, you know, like, um, you know, in the 80s, uh, early 90s. I, I really love, uh, just, uh, I, I loved it. Uh, Papa Wimba, of course, uh, I'm a big fan. But you've noticed, like, Congo's music has, ha like, you can see a lot of influences when you're looking at Nigeria, like, yeah, all around the world. Definitely. So we really have to work hard in bringing and Ghana, our name back. And Ghana. Ghana? Yeah. I haven't really, what would you say, like a Ghanaian artist who you see Congolese? No, it's not that I know any Ghanaian, but the, the, the influence is not, the, it's not only Nigeria, it's also Ghana, because they, you know, the, 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 the rhythm. There's they, that yes. dance, what is it called? Azonto. Yeah. The Azonto dance. So a lot mm -hmm. of the rhythms from Azonto, you can hear the Congolese, you know, that, yes, that, that little so rhythm. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and of and course, if you have Fali, uh, if, uh, you know, I like also collaborations yeah. with uh, African artists. Yeah, you know? a lot of lot of them uh, with Ghanaian people, uh, Ghanaian um, 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 uh, artists, and also, of course, you have uh, you have uh, Yusufa. I think uh, you played the, one of these songs uh, the, in one of the, the past sessions. Uh. I'm glad you listened to our <laughs> show. You know? Yeah, yeah, Yusufa. Uh, I, I love uh, hip hop. I also love yeah. uh, Congolese hip hop artists, especially. Our young brothers were in uh, Paris, you know, Yusufa, yeah. Metro Games. Metro Games, of course. While yes. lifting up uh, Congolese yeah. music, introducing into hip hop Congolese beats and rhythm, yeah. you know, transcending through all the. I mean, if Paris hears it, the world hears it, and we know Congo is going to rise up very soon. Yeah, and it's great, you know, it's, it's also great because, you know, it's not only young people uh, like. Uh, um, um, like the usual uh, rap listeners, but it's, you know, now, you know, French families, they listen to Mitre Games or, or Yusufa exactly. because I think they bring a, a different dimension uh, in their music also. Yes, yes, And yes, I think yes. it's very important, yeah. I think uh, art is really something that brings cultures together. And, you know, just speaking about Congolese music in general, I think it's it's good to know that we have a new generation of Congolese. When you listen to, for example, the Balojis and the Yusufas, mm -hmm. they're saying things that matter within our country and mm -hmm. they're pushing for this new generation to identify themselves to being Congolese and not say, oh, uh, you know, I'm from this area because you have a lot of Congolese who might would prefer saying like I'm American versus saying I'm Congolese. So we need more of that. So having a person such as yourself coming here and talking about the importance of who you are and knowing that being Congolese doesn't define which village you're from, but mm -hmm. it's all about us being yeah. from one country. I think uh, it's important to hear that. And we want to thank you. 
again yep. for being on the show. And you know you're always welcome to come. You, you I know. think, uh, yeah, it's, it's frustrating because it's, uh, you know, time flies very fast. <laughs> I know, and uh, and I wanted to just, to, the last thing that no, I wanted no, to, to mention also, because we, we mentioned, uh, we mentioned uh, culture. Mm -hmm. But it's not only about the music. You know, mm -hmm. it's uh, you the have food. the Teatro Nacional. Uh, yes. I, I remember, you know, some of the, we, we watched some of those, uh, you know, in the 80s, you know, was uh, you know, a teenager. And uh, and of course the the painters, you know, because I I love uh, I love uh, the Congolese uh, painters I as well. I found out you had an art gallery that you opened in Montreal. Uh, not an uh, art gallery, an art gallery helped us because uh, helped we organized us. an okay, exhibition okay. at the time. Oh yeah, you you wrote about that? No, yeah, I so didn't. So. We have, we have some <laughs> no, no, I remember. <laughs> I was very proud of this because a lot of a lot of people came there, and okay. uh, yeah, and uh, so I had I I, I had them uh, uh, sent uh, from Kinshasa. Okay, and I'm uh, because my father was also because this is probably not known as well, uh, but uh, he was he supported a lot of artists, you know, uh, uh, sculptors, uh, painters, uh, musicians, and uh, yeah, it was uh, so this this love of art I think probably comes from uh, from uh, from your roots. Yeah, from your my roots. Yeah. When is your book coming out? Because we need to. Well, I, I, I don't know, but I would like my book to be uh, released uh, before uh, the 20th anniversary of my father's passing. It will oh, be yeah. September, uh, September 2017. Oh. Well, thank you very much for joining us today on Congo Live. Nzanga Mobutu was joining us today. And Kambali, it's always a pleasure to work with you. And we want to remind our listeners next Saturday, 2 o'clock, we'll be here at Congo Live, learning more about the Congo and celebrating being Congolese. And thank you, Tabilulu Production, for producing. Munyanya. He's actually the one that uh, gave us the hint about the art gallery, so we have to give him a oh. shout-out for that. <laughs> he knows a lot more than uh, <laughs> we give him credit for sometimes. Okay, thank you, Patricia. Thank you, Kambali. Thank All you. Right, bye. <laughs>